Hello, and welcome to Polylog, a weekly dialogue that takes a critical look at the policymaker, the politician, and the journalist, because each is critical and each demands criticism. I'm Brendan Steidel, your co-host and communications specialist in government, technology, and healthcare. Our goal for Polylog is to look at the policy and the framing of various instances of political journalism. Polylog is our attempt to find, praise, and demand constructive political dialogue. Today is Monday, June 20th, 2022, and while our family's still bonding with our new baby boy, I'm excited to bring you part 12 of my Solving Guns project. This is a multi-part series that we're sharing first with our Polylog listeners, a project I've spent years on. The goal is to examine every form of gun violence to go deep on the reasons why people own guns in the first place and to find solutions without passing laws. Not because gun control laws are a bad idea or a good idea, but because gun control laws are not solving this issue right now. Whether you love guns or hate them, my hope is that the solutions here can unite those on the left and the right behind one goal, to save lives. Something we can all agree on. You can find this project with written versions and some videos online at solvingguns.org. You can also find access to the 2,000 plus pages of facts and statistics that I leaned on for this project. This is part 12. This is a continuation of our discussion of reducing mass shootings without the need for gun control legislation. And today we are talking about making spaces safer, physical security. But let's say that you have advance warning of a mass shooting, that you have all the training in the world, but there's no emergency exit to get away through, or the door you're trying to lock behind you won't lock, or the pathway is blocked. What then? We can reduce the impact of mass shootings by creating safer spaces, spaces that have safety built in. Because all of those scenarios that I just mentioned, that's exactly what face students at Virginia Tech in 2007. After that incident, doors in institutions changed. Before Virginia Tech, double doors often had a metal bar sticking out, but the shooter was able to lock his victims in by chaining two of those doors together. You won't see too many doors like that anymore. They've been replaced with push bar double doors, doors that don't have areas to hook chains onto to keep them closed. They have the same quick-release exit, but nowhere to loop those chains. That's progress. But it didn't stop there, because sometimes the problem is locked doors, and sometimes the problem is doors that don't lock. Virginia Tech suffered from both issues. Students and professors found themselves in classrooms with doors that just couldn't be locked from the inside. So the shooter just strolled in and out as he pleased. After Virginia Tech... Locks changed too. Now, doors that can lock from the inside are part of the safety standard at universities. It's amazing just what a difference a little lock can make. If you remember, the same change happened after 9-11. Airline cockpits started locking their doors. Offices can do the same today, and more, like removing dead ends in buildings. A dead end is any space where there is just one way in and out. A classroom on the third floor has only one way in and out. A movie theater with stadium seating only has exits in one direction, towards the screen. So when the shooter in Aurora, Colorado opened fire, there was nowhere for the people in their seats to run, but up against a wall. And a bathroom in a nightclub only has one way in and out. So when the shooter at the Pulse nightclub took hostages in the bathroom, 
they were trapped. A lack of exits doesn't just keep potential victims locked in, it also limits options for police and first responders. Imagine if there was a door between classrooms during so many of those school shootings. Or imagine if there were emergency exit doors at the top of the stairs in movie theaters, or an emergency exit door in a bathroom at nightclubs. How many lives could have been saved? Yes, more doors means more points of access to patrol when preventing thefts and robberies. But patrolling emergency exits isn't rocket science. We do it all the time. But much of this design is based on how fires operate, not how shooters do. Architects, building owners, and construction companies should consider ways that they can more strategically lay out their existing fire exits and, when necessary, create a few more. This could speed all types of evacuation scenarios, not just those at the pointed end of a gun. And while we're on physical security, there's something else that schools and businesses should consider. Ways to keep firearms out of the building. Metal detectors. This is a controversial subject. Lots of people bristle at the idea of kids walking through metal detectors to make it to second grade. But nobody seems to mind when those same kids are walking through metal detectors to get on an airplane, to see a concert, or visit Disney. Security screenings happen because they work. They keep people safe, not only by stopping weapons, but by discouraging would-be attackers from trying it in the first place. At the very least, factories and schools should consider adopting metal detectors, because far too many active shooter events could have been prevented if firearms were stopped at the front door. The cost of this might seem high. After all, there are about 130,000 schools in the United States. That's public and private. That's a lot of security. But when you look at how much the government spends each year on each student, the cost of having four or five metal detecting units per school isn't much at all. Consider this. Each year, the average state spends $10,700 on each student. Since each student spends on average about four or so years at each school, that's five years in elementary, three in middle, four in high school, each school in total gets about $46,000 for each student during the duration of their education. What's the cost of metal detectors at each school? About $16,000 a year. So, for less than a quarter of what it would cost to add just one extra student at your school each year, you can install metal detectors. Metal detectors that, if they had been there over the last 15 years of the FBI's data set, could have saved 62 lives. But that doesn't mean that schools have to pay for it. Parents could band together. If each school has on average about 1,000 students, then for a little more than a dollar a month, each parent could help pay for the security to keep their kids safe. Doing this would instantly reduce the number of active shooter casualties by 9%. The cost-benefit analysis is just as compelling for factories. There are 12.3 million manufacturing employees in the United States. The average number of employees per establishment is 36 people, so you wouldn't need as many metal detectors. Each metal detector package comes with two wands, those handheld metal detectors that can be swept over people. So let's say each establishment buys two units and four wands. That's a cost of $7,000, but that's the upfront cost. If we assume each unit lasts about five years, that's a cost per employee of just $38 a year, or $3 a month. 
For the cost of $3 a month per employee, we could effectively end active shooter events at these facilities. This could reduce the total number of casualties and active shooter incidents by 11%. If the next 15 years are the same as the last, we could save 77 lives. Wait, wait, I hear you saying. There's a problem with this cost analysis, and there is. It only covers the cost of the technology, not the security staff to screen incoming students and employees. Yes, yes, that's true. Partly, this is because many schools and businesses already have some form of security who could very capably run this equipment at the start and end of the day. But I know what you're saying. What about the institution that doesn't have on-site security personnel? What about the cement shop in Cupertino, California, the one with just 36 employees? Will they need to hire a whole new employee just for security? And is one employee enough to hold back a shooter? if there is a shooting situation. Well, first of all, one security staff member is better than none, and getting a shooter to reveal their intentions at the door is much better than a shooter being able to trap coworkers deep in the building. But, but I hear what you're saying. This is going to wreak havoc on our cost calculation. In that first analysis, if a small shop of 36 employees gets one metal detector, technology only, it'll cost each employee about $1.62 a month, every month for five years. But if on top of that you need to hire a security staffer, it'll cost each employee $95 a month every month. That's a hell of a lot more expensive. But, but there is a technology solution for this as well. Actually, a pretty brilliant one. And it could work for schools or manufacturing facilities alike. It's called the automated security door. Well, two doors, actually. You know that space you find in some office buildings between the door to the outside and the door to the inside? That empty vestibule that keeps the cold wind or the humid air out? Well, the idea is this. You arrive at work and walk through the first door. Inside that glass box space is a metal detector. The door you just walked through closes, and you walk through the metal detector. If the metal detector doesn't detect any metal, a green light flashes, and the second door, the door to the inside, this one unlocks, and you are cleared to step into work. If you don't pass the test going through the metal detector, a notification is sent to a designated staffer who watches you remove metal, like keys or phones from your pocket, and place them on a tray. You go back through the metal detector, and if it flashes green, you can enter the building. Exiting is a much more straightforward process, but still one that uses the double doors to stop intruders from getting in. The system uses smart algorithms, cameras, and machine vision to automate the process. And the glass is completely bulletproof. It's more expensive than the average metal detector, but it doesn't need to be manned. And it can operate 24-7 for 10 to 15 years. The whole unit costs between forty dollars and $70,000, depending on how many lanes in the layout. But it certainly helps our calculation. For that 36-employee workplace, rather than paying $95 a month for a metal detector and a full-time security staffer, each employee under this security system would only need to pay about $10 a month. That would mean the cost of security amounts to literally a quarter of a percentage of each employee's annual salary. If you look at that on a graph, it's practically nothing. It is a sliver. Taken together, just this small cost of a little more than a dollar a month per student and three to ten dollars a month per manufacturing employee, we could reduce total active shooter casualties by 20%. That's pretty dramatic, and I think well worth the price, even if the employee or the parent is paying for it out of their own pocket. 
But of course, they shouldn't have to pay for it out of their own pocket. Security should be the responsibility of the institution. So what's this cost mean to them? Well, it amounts to even less for the average manufacturing corporation. Using aggregate numbers about the industry, I calculated that it would cost the industry just 0.07% of their profits. So can the industry afford it? Yes, they can. All of this is possible today if we only think about ways we can make our spaces safer. Safer for learning, safer for working, safer for living. Just imagine the sense of assurance you would feel, the sense of security you would feel if you entered these institutions knowing that everyone else entered securely. So that's it for the first part of our discussion on securing spaces. But there's even more to talk about when talking about securing spaces, because shootings don't just happen at schools or in workplaces. They also happen in other public venues, like concerts. That'll be the focus next week. In the meantime, you can learn more at solvingguns.org. If you have any thoughts or feedback, you can email us at podcast at polylog.com. You can tweet at me at bstyle, you can tweet at Naomi at sotonaomi underscore, and you can tweet at the show at polylogcast. Thanks, everyone, and we'll talk with you again next week. Bye.